This is Ballot Box, the pointer's look at the issues on the ballot in Peel, in Niagara, at Queen's Park, and in Ottawa. Now, your host, Joel Whitnable. Underfunding is a theme in the region of Peel. Healthcare, judicial resources, infrastructure, mental health and addictions, public health. And in Mississauga, we can add fire and emergency services to that list. When I speak to residents in Mississauga or I talk about this story with with anyone who lives in the GTA, it is the one that always receives the most comments and words of disbelief. It, It doesn't seem to track for people or make sense how a city can be okay with underfunding its firefighters. The only people who will storm into a burning building crucial heroes that work to save lives in the city every single day. But unfortunately, that's exactly what has been happening in the city of Mississauga, and it's been happening for years. The Pointer has been reporting on this story for a couple of years now, an in-depth investigation a couple of years ago, highlighting how a lack of investment has led to decades-old fire stations being in states of disrepair, a fire master plan that hasn't been followed, a city that is underserved by its emergency services, For a city of this size, Mississauga should probably have closer to 44 fire stations peppered across its geography. It currently only has 21. And this lack of service shows itself in the response times of the fire service, which in 2018 were more than double national standards put in place to protect public safety. It's a scary reality for Mississauga residents, but one that could be slowly starting to change. To help break down this issue and talk about the more recent developments with Mississauga Fire and Emergency Services, I have Chris Varco joining me today, who is the president of the Mississauga Firefighters Association, the union which represents the local firefighters, and a member of the board of directors for the Ontario Firefighters Association. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, Good afternoon, Joel. Thank you very much for having me. So, Chris, as the head of the union, you know, you obviously talk with frontline members uh, on a daily basis, if not multiple times a day. Can you tell me about sort of the sentiment of our local firefighters? They see the headlines. They work in these stations. It's not like they want to be falling short of national fire protection standards. But what are they saying to you? What is the sort of sentiment in the city? Well, I I think, Joel, to be fair, um, you know, we have of late had some new facilities that have opened. And so it's a it's a tale of the have and the have nots. And and some of our members are in some of these uh, newer locations and nice facilities. But we have, as you know, and as you identified and as some articles previously in the publication, and and it's well known to certainly all the firefighters. Many of our stations are uh, in a state of serious disrepair, so so bad so that an engineering report conducted by the city uh, in a 2018 or 2019 identified four stations that were in such a bad state of repair, they said, don't even bother painting them anymore. It's time to tear them down and rebuild. So we've had members that have been living in these conditions for essentially for the large part of their career. They're frustrated. They look around to other areas of the city. We know how other people, uh, elected officials, certainly don't live in these conditions. Just the state of some of these halls. Many of us, uh, you know, live in houses or you know, in, in buildings where you know regular maintenance has to be done. And you know, if you're a homeowner, you see your roof starting to go. 
you might try to stretch a year or two out of it, you know, and then the time comes to, to replace that roof. And we've got instances where roofs were recommended to be replaced a decade and a half ago. And they just continue to go to the point where it's, it's leading into structural damage because of the neglect of fixing these places and uh, water leaking into the buildings. Uh, you know, recently it was determined that we found out that there was asbestos in our buildings after years and years of being assured that there was no asbestos. Happy to report that a, a major remediation uh, has uh, been undertaken by the city and they've taken care of that. But to the to the rank and file to the firefighters who live in these buildings there uh, there is a sense of frustration that there's not enough being done and while there's hope on the horizon and I, and I will get into that hopefully later about the the actions that this existing council and this mayor are taking to right the ship it's a it's a beast of an organization and it takes a long time so now the frustration sets in about how long it's going to take and uh, some of them know that they will never they will never see the uh, upgrades or the uh, renovations or the replacement of the station they're in in their career they'll they'll retire before that they'll ever uh, ever see that again so there's some there is certainly some frustration there and Chris, I definitely we will get into the future and what it means moving forward because I think you're right with that preamble that I gave and, and what's happening. We are seeing things, you know, some investments being made. But before we go forward, I do want to look back a little bit. the The hard part for me with this story, and I'm sure it's similar to you and and any of the firefighters in the city, is I try and figure out how this could be allowed to happen. You have one of the most critical services a municipality provides in terms of keeping their residents safe. Do you have any theories about how this was allowed to unfold? I know you've been very vocal, calling for more investments for a number of years, but every year at budget time, it always seemed like Mississauga Fire Services finding itself on the chopping block. And I can't reconcile that with the, the critical service that the fire service provides, how things for so long could be allowed to essentially decay the way that it has. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's certainly true. It's it's frustrating. I know for for decades and even you know prior to my arrival, I started in the fire service with Mississauga in 1997. So I've been there for a number of years, and and certainly for decades before my arrival, there was a there was a sense of uh, you know the mantra of do more with less, and uh, that has proven to be an abject failure. The crumbling infrastructure has led to massive bills that the taxpayers are going to have to pay for, and. I often say, you know, only like half jokingly, but not really, you know, when I do have an opportunity to speak to the mayor and, and to the commissioner, you know, these folks have a tremendous task in front of them because they not only have to build for the future, the city's undergoing transformation and growth with the LRT and, and all the different challenges in the, in the areas where we're underserviced and being identified in the master, multiple master plans that they've uh, undertaken at, at great expense over decades and, and essentially shelved for decades um, and never moved ahead with any of the plans. But with, with all of these things considered, they have to move ahead to meet the growth, but they have to pay for decades and decades of mismanagement and underfunding that has allow, allowed these critical infrastructures to, to crumble. You know, I know we're talking about the stations, but this was also a problem we faced just with the fire trucks alone. A number of years ago, the, the former fire chief had to approach council for an emergency cash infusion of 23 or $24 million to just immediately purchase some fire trucks because we couldn't even field the small number that we had. We're, we're under, understaffed when it comes to the number of trucks that we have. And that's uh, every master plan that has been identified and that the city has uh, paid for with taxpayers' dollars has pointed to. We are drastically behind in the number of trucks we and stations we should have. 
but we couldn't even field that number because the infrastructure of those trucks had crumbled to the point they couldn't keep them on the road. And I don't mean they were, you know, a little bit of rust here or there or the, or the window wouldn't go down. Catastrophic failures like the drivetrain would fall out, the radiator came apart in vehicles, of blown engines and, and things like that. They were well past their usable life. They'd set some absurd number for a uh, number of years of fire truck to be in service that nobody was observing except for in Mississauga to try to stretch it out to the point where, again, they needed the 27 million just for the truck. So over to the station side, the facility side, it's a similar issue. It's been years and years of just getting by with, you know, just keep the lights on, paint it every now and then, but no significant investment. And the uh, asset has been allowed to crumble into a state of disrepair that the, the poor taxpayer is paying for this uh, this mismanagement that's taken place over decades and decades. And it's it's unfortunate because we're not, you know, firefighters are taxpayers too. And we recognize there's only one taxpayer at the end of the day. And there's lots of competing interests of where the dollars will go. And I know that there's lots of places and lots of groups and uh, areas of the city that need investment. And, and we're not disputing that at all. But I think it's evident now the proof is coming out now that the the decades of underfunding is going to cost the taxpayers because they need to earmark literally hundreds of millions of dollars to both repair the stations and to build out for the new ones. And it's an incredibly difficult task for this council. And I, you know, I, I, I feel for them, uh, for some of them who have been uh, are fairly new to council, they've, they've inherited a fairly massive problem. The, another element, and like you said, you know, we it, it's going to take so much time just to catch up to where we need to be in 2023 and that could take 10 years but then it's you, you know you're almost like constantly playing this game of catch up because you're 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 investing money that probably should have been invested 10 15 years ago but you're doing it now and then the the investments that should be happening now are actually not going to be happening for another 10 years so it's almost like this not a game of whack-a-mole but it's like how do you, how can you even without pouring millions and millions of dollars which obviously like you you rightfully said the city has so many other needs in terms of infrastructure and services it needs to provide that it doesn't have the capability to just dump hundreds of millions of dollars into its fire service on an, every single year. But that's almost what we're looking at. But then when you add in the fact that the, the city is changing so quickly in terms of its growth, like its verticality and its density, all of which obviously play a role in terms of the response times and how the fire service can adequately respond to emergencies, you know, at budget time, we had Fire Chief Darren Rizzi talking about how just traffic congestion alone is one of the biggest impacts on the fire services uh, response times. How do we balance this trying to prepare for the future, but obviously still paying for the mistakes of the past? Yeah, absolutely. To your point, and well put, it's uh, it's a tremendous burden to, uh, to, you know, to look ahead and meet the and meet the needs of a growing city, but then to uh, at the same time to pay for, you know, fixing things that, you know, a, even a reasonable or modest maintenance program would have prevented a lot of the uh, the multi-million dollar repairs that we're seeing the stations need. And the city is undertaking now a, a massive build out in the fire service. You know, they, they've funded it. Certainly not. I'll be, I'll be quite honest. Certainly not nearly as fast as we would like. We, uh, we do a lot of things uh, well in the city of Mississauga, but one of the things we do not do well is we do not build fire stations quickly. We are years and years and years building stations, and it's it's frustrating, and it, it's hard to point the finger at any one person. I know our uh, one of our deputy chiefs that's tasked with that job in fire is doing a tremendous job moving this ahead, but we're running into uh, 
getting variances and drawings and engineered reports and permits from the city, which is so confusing to us because the city is the fire service and, and vice versa. And yet we are months and years waiting for things. You know, there was a delay at one of our latest stations when it was determined they wanted to move the location of the station and, and dump it out onto a different street than the one that it was originally designed for. And that delay took us over a year. And, you know, I don't know the exact number, but a lot of money in engineering fees to adjust it. Things that should have been done and not when they're about ready to put shovels in the ground to further delay our building. So the the massive investment that's, that's needed and that they are ramping up to do the build out, you're right. When we come out the other end of it, we're going to be a decade and a decade and a half behind again by the time we get this done. It's taking so long to ramp these things up. And, uh, you know, as the, as the fire chief uh, said at budget time, the traffic alone is uh, is problematic. You know, everything is surface, as we know. We don't have any underground and, and traffic congestion in the city of Mississauga is very real. And these trucks are not small. And, um, you know, for instance, a, a truck pulling out of its station at 4.30 or 5 o'clock to try to head up here, Ontario. Anybody who's been up here, Ontario in the last little while and even before the LRT construction began, it's almost an impossible task. And, and there's a reason why we're not getting anywhere close to the national standards for fire response. So much so the council passed their own bylaw to lower that standard, that they would allow a lower standard in Mississauga for our trucks to get to someone's home or, or building or place of work in, in their time of need. And we can't meet those standards either. We're missing those constantly because there's just simply not enough locations. The traffic congestion is so bad that we can't move the vehicles through the city, it's clogged, and there's just not enough. There's just not enough trucks. And the plan to build them, it's a great plan, and it's going to be good when it's done. But unfortunately, the amount of time it takes is going to, like I said, leave us a decade to a decade and a half behind on the master plan when we emerge at the other end. And that's if there's no further delays. And Chris, aside from the physical infrastructure and the capital investments for fire trucks, equipment, dispatch, and things like that, can you talk about the, the sort of the human assets, obviously the firefighters and trying to retain and hire new staff as you know some of the older ones retire. Does this reputation or this sort of this public knowledge that the fire service has been underserved by its council and that the council hasn't really supported the organization the way that it needs to, does that impact retention or the Mississauga Fire Service's ability to hire newcomers? I know that the profession typically does not have any issues finding new recruits. I've seen, you know, the the images on social media. I've talked with people who have been trying to get on with fire services across the GTA, and it is a very, very competitive process. And typically when fire services open up their gates for, for new hires, it, it fills up pretty quickly in terms of the number of applicants. But I just wonder if you've seen any impact, whether that reputation has impacted the, this uh, fire service's ability to, to, to hire or retain staff. I don't know that it really has uh, impacted our ability to hire. You know, I know that I know the uh, the management group of the fire service are doing their best to hire the best people for the job. I think it's a very onerous task. We, you're right. You put out the uh, the help wanted sign, and the lineup starts to form. It's uh, there's no problem getting uh, a suitable number of applicants. I I think and believe. You know, I meet our new recruits, and they're they're fantastic individuals, the men and women that are joining the fire service today are, are coming with a tremendous amount of education and skill sets that lend itself well into the fire service. I do know that a lot of them just in, in casual conversation are aware 
of the state of our fire stations. You know, it's no secret and it's well known across. Uh, as we speak, I'm at a, at a provincial gathering of uh, leadership from across the province and everybody here knows that the state of our fire stations is quite frankly, some of them is, is embarrassing, the state that it is. And it's been, that it's been allowed to fall to that, to the way that it is. But as far as, uh, you know, people, it is so hyper competitive to uh, join the fire service that applicants will apply to any fire department in Ontario. In a lot of instances, we see people applying from out of province that come to Mississauga Fire. So hanging on to them, that's, that is typically not a deal breaker, but it's well known. They come with some preconceived notions and it's no secret within the fire service that our, uh, our facilities are uh, certainly uh, not doing so well. Maybe on the way up, a, a rebound is coming. Like I said, uh, this council, uh, this mayor, the commissioners that we've had through this fire chief are driving uh, this initiative hard and uh, it's a tremendous investment. So I, I want to make sure we give credit where it's due. Uh, these folks are the ones tasked with fixing it. Well, most of them. We've had some that have been around for a long time and were part of the demise. But I think that our trying to raise our voice has turned the lights on and maybe they're seeing it now for the first time because I know we have concerns about the flow of information from the fire chief and from the management group to make it to the city councillors. Because to be quite honest, the version of the budget that the city city council sees is not the version of the budget that the fire chief prepares. It is uh, sanitized and gutted and moved and changed and shifted around to fit neatly into a template of what they think the tax increase should be for the year. So is it fair to say that the councillors knew all along? I'm not sure, but they do now because we've certainly taken a more uh, a vocal position on this. Enough is enough. There's not many other... Uh, uh, workers in the city that would work in some of these conditions, you know, where toilets backing up and urinals freezing in the walls and, and leaking through the carpets of the dorm became a, a so commonplace that they started you know, putting heaters uh, into the walls and just drywalling them in so that the, the pipes wouldn't freeze and uh, and urine wouldn't soak the carpets in the, in the dorm where people sleep. Conditions that are that we wouldn't we wouldn't tolerate in other areas, and uh, for a lot of years, it was felt that it was just fine for the firefighters to tolerate that. So, I, I don't think to your question that it's uh, you know with, with sort of help on the way, and this is going to be addressed. I know that it's it's not a deal breaker for the firefighters. I know everybody's a little frustrated and uh, disappointed that it's come to to what it is, but uh, we are thankful that it is getting uh, the much needed attention that it deserves. So we are being able to hang on to uh, most of our folks. We lose some, and the reasons why we don't maybe always know why they've left uh, the service to go elsewhere, but some do, and difficult to to pinpoint it. I wouldn't be able to comfortably say it's entirely because of the state of the buildings, but it is no secret. Yeah, well, Chris, I think the last last part of this episode, I want to try and set you know residents' minds at ease because they get into you know everything that we've talked about. Now they're, I'm sure, we have Mississauga residents sitting here listening and being like, is, "Am I safe?" And I want to you know talk about the investments that are being made because we know you know at budget time, the last couple of years we've seen a commitment and we've seen this sort of multi-year phased investment to try and play a little bit of this catch up. You know, this year it was, I think, believe 27.4 million that's being spent this year on a, a variety of different infrastructure and other capital assets. But I know you've told us it is, it's happening too slowly, but can you talk a little bit about the investments that are being made and how the fire service is sort of adapting in the meantime, as these sort of investments are being rolled out? Yeah, certainly. So, you know, first uh, out of the gate was uh, when it was uh, exposed through a story that our stations were in fact, uh, many of our stations were in fact loaded with asbestos. 
a quick uh, remediation program was immediately con- commenced. So that was uh, that was a fairly sizable undertaking where the crews would come out anytime. Anytime you are renovating, doing some work in a in an existing uh, functional fire station, to the point where the crews cannot stay in the fire station while this work is being undertaken, and not unlike when the asbestos was coming out, they had to exit the station for a week or two at a time. It creates real logistical problems because you can't just simply move, shut down the fire hall that day, and uh, you know move the trucks to somewhere else in the city and respond in because our response times, while not great, they would be wildly unacceptable if we were to ever do that. So we had to get creative and uh, we, we committed to, to the management group and to the commissioner that, look, we'll, we'll play ball with you to get this done. It's unfortunate we're here. So that the department procured like some camper trailers and the crews were living out of those in the parking lot of the fire stations while they were um, working on, uh, you know, getting the asbestos out. But now that the uh, that job is done and the attention's being turned to some renovations, the major renovations of the stations that are that are sorely needed. We have a we have a lot. Just a side note: we have a lot of stations in Mississauga that were designed for one truck, uh, one one truck and one crew, and we have two trucks in them uh, and two crews. The space, the the square footage is so incredibly small. When you look around the GTA at, at, at some of the other fire services, the number, the square footage per person is so low to the point that it's it's too low that they're they're adjusting it and, and putting additions into these buildings. So that that's just a side note, but the work that is being undertaken for the uh, for the renovations is going to require longer times out of the building, and and some sometimes you know could be up to a year. We hope not, but some of them could be up to a year where crews will be living in trailers in the parking lots of the fire stations, and where we can piece a truck off into another area, we would uh, we'll try to do that. I know that the, the management's looking at those options and response times and working with our uh, communications to monitor to see, you know, where can we, you know, get as many efficiencies as possible so that we continue to provide fire safety and fire protection to the residents and the businesses in Mississauga. And and I do want to say to the listeners that, you know, uh, despite the challenges that we have, despite the, you know, the decades of underfunding and, and, and quite frankly, mismanagement of the fire service for decades that took place, you know, up until recently, the men and women of the of uh, Mississauga firefighters, they'll be there for you. They, you know, the, everyone will do their very best. Our response times aren't that great. Hopefully with the addition of new stations, we'll be able to get into some of the areas that we're we're lagging you know, the most, most seriously in, but, um, day in and day out, I know the men and women come to work, uh, wanting to provide the best possible service to the residents and we, they will do everything in their power to ensure the safety of the residents. So I don't think it's, um, I don't think I wouldn't want anybody to hit the panic button about the, the state of, uh, fire safety in Mississauga. We're doing the very best that we can, but it's under very trying circumstances. So we appreciate the investment. You know, again, we wish it was quicker. We wish it was a little more robust, but we'll take what we can get. It's certainly better than what we've had for the decades. And um, you know, we'll keep uh, working towards uh, trying to build a, a fire service that the residents uh, can can be proud of and, and can and feel at night when they go to bed that they're safe, that we'll have the right number of firefighters there in the right time and to protect them and their family. Yeah. And Chris, my last question, I really just want to expand on that a little bit. With everything that we've discussed, it can put a shadow over the service. But I think that the, the job that these firefighters do and the work that you do every day needs to be highlighted. We, we looked at some of these question marks, obviously the big one being funding. But I mentioned, you know, these other changes that, you know, Mississauga is undergoing in terms of just its physical 
appearance in space, like the verticality, all of these new high rises that we're getting and the density, which obviously will be challenges for the fire service as it comes. But I know training and the evolution of sort of a firefighter's role is, is a constant thing when you're, when you're with a fire service. And I just wanted to see if you could talk about how the fire service is preparing for these challenges that are coming and, and what they're doing to make sure that their firefighters are the best equipped to respond to these emergencies in the years to come. Certainly. Well, I know, uh, you know, I know that the fire chief is, is uh, fighting at budget time to get to get the equipment into the hands, the, the modern equipment into the hands of the Mississauga firefighters to best prepare my members and her, her firefighters for uh, providing the best service to to the public. You raise an interesting point when you talk about the, the change in the city and, and the, the verticality. And that's something that we've, we've had high rises in Mississauga for years. It's, it's nothing new, but now we're getting into to some of these, the super skyscrapers that are going to be coming out and buildings that are going to be exceeding uh, 80 stories. And, and where does the future go for that? So when we talk about response time out of a fire station and, and the NFPA standards around our response times and that we're not meeting those response times. So then, as I mentioned earlier, council lowered it through a bylaw and we're not meeting those either. But when we pull out of the station, when the call comes in, it gets processed through our, our call taking and our dispatch, and then it hits the fire station. The truck drives to the call. That measures the amount of time from the time the truck pulls out of the station till it pulls up to the address and the truck reports on scene. But what it's not taking into account is, you know, and that could be five, six, seven, eight, nine minutes getting somewhere. But there's an additional when you have to get all the equipment out of the truck that you need into the building, get control of the elevator and get to the floor. And if you're getting up to the 75th floor of a building, you can tack several more minutes onto how long somebody's waiting when they've made a call to 911. So part of it is to target our response capabilities into these stations to ensure that we have adequate staffing, that we can get trucks there as quickly as possible to get the firefighters to the condo, to the apartment, to the to the home to where somebody's waiting for help and it takes resources and no ma- there is no magic formula to make below the recommended number of firefighters, which we have for our city. There's no magic formula to make them get somewhere faster, particularly in a, in a city that is dealing with congestion like Mississauga, like, you know, not, not uncommon to a lot of GTA cities. So the vertical response time, so getting from you get, arrive in the parking lot, that's fine, but when you're another 75 floors to get your crews up there to get help, it becomes a, it becomes a challenge. Now, having said that, our fire prevention division is ensuring that the buildings that are being built in Mississauga are being built to the very latest standards and fire codes that have built-in protections and things like that that will certainly help and assist to mitigate and to slow down the spread of fire until fire crews can get there. But at the end of the day, it still takes firefighters coming in to properly mitigate the emergency. So we've got to add that time to it. And it just simply takes more people to be able to pull off these tasks. So a combination of trying to get the right technology into our hands, to uh, which is expensive, no question, to get the right number of firefighters to get to the buildings and to address the concern around vertical response times. That's all critical and there's no one solution. It's a, every one of those things is a piece to a puzzle to put together to provide the best uh, service possible to the taxpayers. I think that's a good place to leave it today. Uh, I wanna thank Chris Varco, president of the Mississauga Firefighters Association for joining me today. And thanks to all of you for listening. I hope you'll join us next week for another episode of Ballot Box. Box 
was hosted by Joel Whitnable, produced by yours truly. Join us next week for the Pointer's ongoing coverage of the issues on the ballot. I'm Jeff Chalmers. Thank you for listening. See you next time.